Hi, creative minds, and welcome to the Savvy Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Christina Castaneda, and today my guest is an artist, writer, speaker, and creativity guru. He has written over 300 short stories and been nominated for two Pushcart Prizes. He has been a cartoonist for the Oakland Tribune, an extra for the New York Metropolitan Opera, a classroom teacher, a college professor, and a mailman, and has taught creative thinking techniques to more than 1 million people around the world. Welcome, John Pearson. Uh, welcome, Christina. I'm, I'm very impressed by my uh, bio, which I wrote. Uh, thank you so much for reading that publicly. <laughs> well, it is impressive. I mean, I love, I love creativity techniques, especially ones that uh, focus around being absurd and yes. embracing the absurd, because I really yes. believe that you do the most absurd thing with the closest of friends. So how, oh, yeah. yeah, how do you unlock absurdity with people, especially since that's such a hard thing to get people to warm up to? Uh, that, that's a very good question. I've never been asked that. Uh, you know, I always think for me, a great conversation, and when I say great conversation, that means also writing, doing art, interacting in any way. It's sort of like two things coming together. One. Uh, flights of imagination and depths of emotion. So uh, the absurd to me is kind of letting my mind go and being very present. I think being present and being authentic is where the true originality uh, comes up and, and, and comes up by surprising oneself. I mean, I could sit down and practice answers to questions or think what creativity is and write a long thing. But what I, what I find is it's just in the moment that what surprises me is what's most interesting. Because it surprises me and will probably surprise the reader and the audience. Yeah, what's the saying? No, no surprise in the reader, no surprise in the writer. No surprise in the writer, no surprise in the reader. I'm sure I botched that quote. By whoever okay. that well, was. it was a surprise also. <laughs> but yeah. I, I love what you said about co connecting absurdity and authenticity. Yeah. Because um, I really think that those two go together, but people might, I don't think people really uh, get that unless they're creating, like you said. Yeah, and I think, their mind go free. If, I, if I can jump in, it seems to me that I've been involved with doing things that are absurd uh, all my life. And, and, and why that is, I don't exactly, I had a troubled childhood. I guess maybe that's probably part of it. I mean, my parents were great folks, but uh, uh, it was a sense of just seeing the wacky side of things. And, and that was a huge interior world that I developed. Uh, so I always had it as a friend. And, you know, on a bad day, I mean, a bad day could not get so bad that I couldn't find something interesting or odd. So the odd thing, the absurd thing, uh, just kept me going. And as a writer, as an artist, I just, my mind uh, just tracks toward funny and odd and, and deep, actually. So your mind just tracks. So when you, um, I, I noticed as you were showing me all your stuff, it, it seems like you find just one focal point and just build on it. And you find just like this really deep, like, Wow, profound wisdom in it. I love that. I, I appreciate that profound <laughs> wisdom. I, 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 I give an example. Uh, um, a number of years ago, I was, uh, this is actually how my mind really works. Uh, a number of years ago, I was slamming my van door. I had a Chevy Astro van. I was slamming the door. I was standing on a street someplace in uh, Santa Monica. And the phrase, he lived inside Edward G. Robinson's head, came to mind. Edward G. Robinson was a gangster uh, well, he was an actor who played gangsters in the 1930s. I don't know where that came, that little phrase came, but it popped into my head. And so I went off and, you know, started writing and wrote an 835-page book called In the Nostrils of an Icon, uh, which was all about an amusement park and being in a large stucco replica of Edward G. Robinson's head. It was called, uh, as I say, In the Nostrils 
of an icon. And it just started by every day I just add something to it, and it just went anywhere it went. And the only the only uh, rule the only rule I had was it doesn't have to make sense. So when I came to a wall and couldn't think what else to write, I just thought it doesn't have to make sense. And I talked about life, death, bugs, um, <laughs> sex between molecules, history, anything. And it was just this guy looking out a nostril at an amusement park on Gangster Lane. And it just started, it, 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 it did what school to me never told me to do. School always said, get a main idea, supporting details, know what you're going to write, write it, craft it, punctuate it. I'm all a big fan on punctuating, writing, grammar, and all that. But in the beginning, I like to not know what I'm going to say and just look at, you know, a thread, a dot, a something, you know, that flies into my head and just run with it. And at the end, uh, clean it up with spelling and punctuation. <laughs> so I'm curious, like, how was that rewrite process when you uh, create like that? I mean, I feel like um, just with a rewrite process for me, you're like trying to make it make sense. But you like start without you start with nonsense, which I love. Um, how was that process when you it, were you know going it's, 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 it? yeah it's a kind of a weird thing I mean I have to be able to drive with the gas on and the brake off and then after that I got to put the brake on in other words uh, in the beginning I just have to cut loose and, and let it all go and it just flies out of my head not that it always does uh, you know I mean I'll, I'll stare for long times at blank paper and nothing comes and just grumpiness comes but if I stay there long <laughs> enough weird funny stuff comes uh, especially if I let it. So I, I do that. That's the gas pedal. And after that, then I start ripping stuff out. And what I find interesting, when I was in school, I used to hate, I actually, I hated writing. Uh, A, because I didn't know what the teacher wanted, and I was driven. I had to get A's and everything, so I was a driven kid, and I couldn't understand, well, what do you, what do they want, and how do I, and then I try to do it perfectly, and, and all of my uh, inveterate creativity, the stuff I did spontaneously, was completely shut out. And then I wonder, well, you know, they get a B plus. Why did it, why didn't I get an A? I should, you know, and I, and I was like, it was a fight. I didn't know. It was like writing had to do with a magic box and I couldn't find out what was in the box, what they wanted. It was only later in life, actually, when I got to be 50, really, that I just really just threw that all out and just wrote and, and wrote like crazy, um, on my own terms. It's like, you know, the nostril thing came out and I, I, I wrote that. And and what I do, what I used to get up in the in the morning and uh uh then I'd go down to Starbucks and, and get my little table, uh, and then I just write and write and write and write. And I and I, I was indefatigable. And and what I found was the the energy of the writing was the thing that kept me going. And it was like it's like inside me was this little kid that just wanted to go to the park and swing on the swings and you know, Daddy, could we go and swing on the swings? And, and and I find that if I let if I take my kid out and let him swing on the swings for an hour or two or whatever, then everything in my whole life gets better, including my relationship with my wife. And I have a great relation with my wife, but it gets even better when I've been creative. I feel younger, happier, and indispensable. You know, I spend two hours writing, you feel great. And then another part of my brain kicks in, the 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 wise critic part that says, no, take this out, move that, don't do that. And I like that also because it wasn't like in school uh, some punitive thing. It was more like, you know, what sounds better and what sounds better and what sounds better, and then I just follow that. So the part of inventing stuff just was one part of my brain, and the other part was equally 
turned on. It was, but but I had to, I had to keep them separate. But when I when I because I will write something and then I'll go over it a zillion times and and every time find some new thing to chop out or change or add, and it feels benign. It feels fun. I just you know. And like I say, not always, because as, as you all know, if, if you are a writer, that there are patches where it just, it sucks completely, nothing comes, and you want, you feel like you're wrestling an alligator. You know, nothing's <laughs> happening. Well, like you said before, grumpiness. Grumpiness. Uh, grumpiness. Mr. Grumpy. Mr. and Mrs. Grumpy. <laughs> well, how do, you, how do you beat grumpiness? How do you, I mean, you, you get to the point where you want to play, but what's, what's the gap in between the grumpy and the playtime? How do you get from there? Well, you know, I, I've been I've been in education many years. Just to give a brief thing about me, I've, I've been an educational consultant actually for 25 years and went all over the country with a program uh, I call Creative Learning, uh, and taught kids how to be creative and teachers as well. I worked with all ages of folks, and one of the things, and and also I use drawing as a way to get kids into uh, writing because when you draw, you don't have to worry about spelling, punctuation, grammar. You just draw. And then the drawing gets your free association going, and the free association gets your, the vividness of mind going, and then you're, you're doing that. But I would say to them, look, inside your head, you want to make a distinction between wise voice and worry voice. Uh, and a wise voice, uh, the, the worry voice we can all detect. It's the one that wants to beat us up and scare us and punish us and have us prove things. It's basically scare, punish, and prove is its, its entire thing, the, the inner critic. It scares us by saying, oh, God, what's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen with the country? What about Trump? What about this? What about will I ever get money doing this? And the punish is, oh, this is stupid. I can't do that. I shouldn't, you know, why am I bothering? And and the prove is, well, unless I'm, you know, Steinbeck, I'm crap, you know. Uh, so they're all in there. And then I realized if I can really hear them when they come out, I can just say this is just Mr. Grumpy. <laughs> and the point is that no matter how well I do, if I don't deal with Mr. Grumpy, it's never enough, like ever. So the other side is, is uh, you know, Mr. or Mrs. Wise Voice, or I think of happy. And, and the detection for me is one feels heavy and sludgy. The other feels just fun and playful. And, you know, of course, not everything in life is fun and playful, but that's why fun and playful are so important, actually. And fun and fun and fun and playful don't come from grumpy and critical. So, I just get better at noticing. Oh, that's that grumpy thing again. And what I used to say to kids is, "Hey, pretend your head is an aquarium, and all those thoughts going around—they're just fish. Some are mean and terrible, and some are really fun and lovely and great. So you get to pick the fish. In other words, don't don't believe everything you read, but also don't believe everything you think. And it's just." fish so you know you get you, you're the one who you know changes the water on the fish tank yeah and that worry voice and the wise voice i mean i feel like you have to just really train yourself to do that like that is a practice that most people have i mean how do you just hone it in and just listen to it more i mean it's 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 a challenge for me, and I'm sure every every person, whether you're a writer or not, out there. Yeah, I think that's that, that's again a very key and a very a very good question. Um, to me, the 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 worry voice uh, can be very loud and very convincing, but it always lacks one thing that the wise voice always has. Wisdom always has a, a, an element of kindness. And the mean, cruel, dictatorial, critical voice never does. It wants you to think 
that it does. It wants you to think that it scares you in order to protect you. It wants you to think that um, it punishes you in order to improve you. And it wants you to think that you have to prove something in order to validate yourself. Well, the truth is you don't need to scare, punish, or prove anything. And when you're trying to do, in other words, when I'm writing, if I'm the, the surest way to really uh, destroy my creativity is to hope that I'm writing a really good piece. Uh, that's the sure sign that my little kid who likes to play on the swing is not in residence. That's the sure sign. And, and of course, that voice is going to be there. You know, I hope it's good. And when I'm looking at blank paper, the voice that comes is the one that says, oh, God, I can't think. This is stupid. What am I doing? And, you know, it's like I should be doing 12 other things. But that's not what keeps me young and happy. You know, I, I feel like I could, if I stay creative, I could be creative at 108. And people who, you know, they're, they're eight years old out there. They're grumpy old folks. You know, they just, they don't, they're not creative and they're scared and they're, they're whatever the hell else they are. And they're worried. And they're worried. And, and anxious. And, and, yeah. and anxious, rightly so. It's a, it's a scary, uh, it's a scary world. But, you know, the, 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 the sort of gorilla tactic in me is, it, it, of course, it's a scary world. Of course, things are serious. Of course, things are heavy. But in the midst of all that, there's this part in all of us that can just play. You know, I don't even think of it as the inner critic and the wise voice. I think of the inner critic, the wise voice, and the imp. Uh, I have a very resident imp. Like, I like to mess things up with my wife. I'll put a chair in the middle of the room, and, you know, we'll, we'll run her. I'll, I'll, I'll turn into a bird or something like this. We're going we're gonna to go around the room like a, like, like, like a bird. Now we're going to be, you know, we, we become like seagulls going through the house you're squawking and making weird noises i speak to her uh in french a lot uh and don't speak any french but it sounds like this <laughs> my wife's name is and my wife is brilliant but she does she doesn't uh, speak french so you know i get away with it but my point is that i just like to play and and the world could use more honest play that isn't, I don't know how to say, it isn't show-offy and it isn't mean and it isn't sarcastic and it isn't yes. put down, it, but it's, oh but God. it's, <laughs> it's, it's this, it's this thing that makes you feel like, hey, yeah, things do suck and guess what world, uh, there's a point in me that's bigger than the suckiness and it, and we'll never die incidentally, this little point of light or power or energy, uh, that is just intrepid and is, Somebody once said to me, because I do a lot of talking in front of groups, uh, I did this talk back in New York, and he said, uh, and this guy was sort of quiet and solemn and didn't say much, and he said, because uh, I thought he I thought he hated what I said. He said, uh, he said, you know, you were really, uh, you were really quite quite good. I thought, well, thanks, Jim or whatever his name is. Uh, <laughs> I, I forget his name. And he said, uh, he says, you know, what you were. He said, and then he kind of furrowed his brow. He said, you are, you are chaos that knows exactly where it's going next. Uh, and that, I think, pretty much is the way I speak to groups. It's pretty much the way I write. It's the way I draw. It's the way I am when I'm really close and present uh, with my wife. It's a sense of happiness that is like, it's, and I think that's it. It's a sense of not, oh, if I do well and earn this and achieve that, then I'll be happy. It's, it's, it's the exact opposite. It's like, I'm happy, uh, and I'm going to become volcanic. And by volcanic, I mean prolific. And then after that, if you like the stuff, good. If you don't like the stuff, tough. I'm having a party. If you want, you know, part of my party, you can, you can, you know, have a piece of cake. If you don't, I love you and 
no, no worries. You know, it's, but I'm not waiting on permission. Yeah, just don't be a party pooper. <laughs> yeah, don't be a, or, or be one. I don't care. You just become interesting. That's an interesting uh, specimen out there. <laughs> well, I love that. It's just like raw playfulness because now I, I, you know, when I, my kids are older, but you know, raising kids here in LA play was organized play dates. It was competition. Right. It was, yeah. Everything that would take away from creativity. And I love how you're just like bringing it back to like, no, it's just fun. It's just open. It's just organized. Or would you say chaos? Yeah. Chaos. Actually chaos. It knows exactly where it is going. Um, which again is the opposite of school. I mean, I've worked in school for many, many years, and you know, bless school—public uh, school, private schools—but uh, often they're so objectives-driven. You know, I mean, you, and and I can get that if you got a zillion kids in a class. Where are we going? Let's make sure we got there. Let's check companies to see if we got that. that way. And companies are yeah. that way, and life is that way, and the world seems to be that way. That's why uh, artists, creative people. Uh, are, are so vitally necessary. And what it means is that you, you get to not know. N- not knowing is a very high state uh, if you can cherish it and, and not hate it. You know? And in the not knowing, uh, you're just centimeters away from some brand new breakthrough thing that, that could not come to you if you knew what you were doing. So while school is busy with objectives driven, uh, I think accidents are just as important and, and mistakes are way as much as important and kids don't get that. You know, they mess up on something, they feel bad, but you know, the, the best stuff I've ever done came through messing up. And, and, and as I said, I was a, uh, as Christina said, I was a cartoonist for the Oakland Tribune many, many years ago. I did cartoons like the far side. I didn't do the far side, but cartoons like that. It was called uh, Pearson's View. And uh, I I'd get blank index cards five by eight cards, and, uh, you know, I'd draw and draw and draw. And, and I wouldn't start with a caption and then do a picture. I'd start with a doodle, get a picture, and then slap on a caption. And after a 100 pictures, if I got one I liked with a cool caption, I'd be kissing my fingers and feeling like a genius. <laughs> so I knew that I got to blow through a lot of stuff to get to something good, but it's the blowing through a lot of stuff uh, and staying in the saddle that really makes all the difference. And I think so often people... Don't because they want. Is it good enough? Is it this? Is it that? And then they strangle themselves. Yeah, and that's the thing. I I was listening to you on a a different podcast called Superstition Review, and you were just talking about write garbage, write garbage. You yeah, know, yeah. Just go with it. Just go with it. And that's what I think um, writers need to know is that you do have to doodle every day. That's why we journal a lot. Yeah. You know, we have to get these thoughts out, and we just have to go and like you said, go through it, go through it until you get that or polish it. I polishing's different, but like as far as just getting something out there and yeah, getting yeah. the story, yeah, you do have to just like be okay with throwing out gar- throwing out garbage on that page every day. Yeah, so, yeah. And it and it yeah. may help to actually think of it as garbage or it may help to <laughs> not ever use the word garbage. In other words, what are you gonna put out? Just put it out. I mean the the thing of it is is that a great idea may be at the end of a long chain of thoughts. It may be at the end of a string. And if you don't do the string, you don't do the chain, you're not going to get to the interesting thought. If you're trying always to do it well and get it right and whatnot, for sure you're not going to be finding out what's unknown and odd. And a lot of that is just doing weird stuff. I, I think in, in all the writing I've done, um, the thing that I came away with, that I have come away with mostly, is that my mind has a mind of its own. In other words... 
there, there is in us, me, anyone, a kind of a, uh, I call it a genie, or maybe it's the super child or something. The muse? Is, it's like, it's like a muse, but it's a little different even. It's, it's, it's kind of, uh, I mean, a muse seems kind of important and weighty and from the Greeks or something, <laughs> but there's some, there's some uh, little impy thing that seems more like a little kid playing and screwing around and, you know, losing something under a, under a couch and, and climbing over the back of something and, 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 and so on. It's, it's, it's odd and it's, it's, it's playful. It's, it, it comes with the, some kind of law of nature. Nature is all about abundance and then winnowing down. It's about variety and abundance. So nature does zillions of things, you know, and then the one species lives, you know. So uh, why not do the same? But I don't think nature is standing around beating itself up because it did a million things which didn't work. It just does a million frickin' things. And so I'm thinking if it works with acorns and trees and whatnot and, and rabbits and so on, it would probably work with the with how my brain works. But I discover that, wow, if I really stay open to the possibilities on the page and, and stay open all along with the possibilities, um, then the little birds of, of wisdom, the little memes, the little whatever floating above my head will actually land on me. I, when I was doing a lot of writing, uh, the short stories, and I, I did another book called Memoirs of a Gorilla, uh, okay. and that one I typed up, uh, that was like uh, 250 pages. And that was about uh, uh, a gorilla uh, in a cage. And it was the difference between vertical freedom and horizontal freedom, the difference between uh, time and space. Uh, the, the, the gorilla had lots of time, but no space. And the people outside the bars of his zoo cage had, you know, they had space, but no time. And it was just, I know that sounds heady and philosophical. I was a philosophy major. Um, but I discovered that when I let myself just go nuts and wonder, gee, what would a really smart gorilla think? Um, I got to not think what I would think. And that had to come through some odd place I call the mind that, you know, that, that, that has a mind of its own, which, which I got to say is so often militated against and ruled out, it seems to me, rather systematically in school. I, I think uh, school... And I don't mind saying this because I've said that to people in schools, being in schools, we've, we've, we've made such a sharp distinction in the education system, uh, much of it, uh, between the imagination and the intellect. So intellect here, and that's good and academic and heavy, and arts there, which can turn into artsy-fartsy or, you know, <laughs> frosting on the cake, or once we've done all the heavy lifting, then we'll throw in some arts and a lot of arts and education is just something tossed in so people can have something that's arts that goes along with their science project. But, you know, in your brain, you don't have a place in your brain called science and a place called art and a place called math and a place called writing. It's all mushed together. But you do have places in your head called the senses, the emotions, and the imagination. And the intellect is a child of the imagination. It's not the other way around. The, the, you need a great imagination to have a strong intellect. And so often that really is not fostered. Uh, I'm, I'm on a soapbox right now, but it really seems important that when little kids were little, they had these huge imaginations. And if you look at every study done on creativity, five-year-olds are the most creative people on the planet. And by that, they made weirder choices, odder things. They sang, they danced, they responded in a million ways that grown-ups on the straight and narrow, get it right and look good path don't. And then they get into first grade, second, third. By third grade, fourth grade, their creativity scores, their divergent thinking scores plummet. And what did they do? They went to school. Not that school's bad, but school could could say, look, 
creativity, imagination, mistakes, messing up, being silly, uh, are part of intellectual growth. They are part of intellectual development. They are part of the core of the heavy lifting thing. I think, yeah, schools that when they don't honor imagination enough and then they get into, uh, people get into the working world and all your creativity is your variable of success, right? Like how well you can think out of the box and uh, not only that, how well you deal with failure in mm -hmm. your creativity are pivotal for your success. Yeah. So I'd like to know, how, how do you help people regain that? That's your specialty, right? How do you help people unlock and invoke imagination again? Well, I think we, we never lose it. It just gets buried over. Uh, I think uh, when, when I was working in the schools, and I still am working in the schools, I do, I do lots of creative learning programs, um, it always seemed to me to come down to two things, observation and imagination. And if you wanted to find the weird in something, just look at it closely. I mean, you could look at your, 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 your index finger and look really, really hard at, your, at the cuticle on your, on your finger, and within seconds, it just gets weird. It just looks kind of weird. <laughs> So if you look at anything long enough, I mean, and, and a fork, you know, if you look really closely at the little thing, it'll, it'll look weird. It'll look odd. And that's when I know that I'm actually seeing something is that it looks odd. Uh, recognizing something is practically the sign you're not seeing it. So part of creativity is very, very simple. Just look at stuff longer and more closely. Just, you know, look at stuff. Well, what do you look at? Well, anything. <laughs> uh, anything outside your head. I, I had a little, my own mantra that it, it goes like this. Turn all worrying Waiting, turn all waiting, wanting, worrying, or whining into watching. So just as so you can look at your finger very closely to get outside your head, you can actually have negative thoughts and stop and look at them really closely. Like I was saying, those fish that go by in the, in the uh, aquarium called your, your head. And just get very curious. You can get curious about anything. You can get curious about a bad mood. You can get curious about being depressed. You can get curious about being petty-minded and and pissed off over nothing. You can get curious about stuff you regret having done. You can get curious about anything. So number one, observation. Just look at stuff. And in doing that, you're going to do what kids always did. See, little kids, what they do is they go around and they see stuff a lot. Uh, and then we get older, and then it shifts over from look and see to... Uh, you know, look, see if you can look good is what it moves over to. So kids are going around seeing stuff and then they get, go, they turn into adults who just want to do well and look good. But if you stop doing well and looking, and I, I don't mean stopping doing well. I mean, you're going to, you're going to do that, but without, without that engine of criticism going on in your head. So number one, observe stuff and wherever you are, just look around, you know, look at carpeting, look at, look at, and, and, and just look to the point of, oh, that's odd. I never noticed that. That has a rejuvenating effect that actually makes you feel like when you were a kid. Second thing is imagination. And imagination is just letting it go. And, and you can do that just by playing with, 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 with words. I mean, we live in a world where, uh, dogs bark, but you could live in a world where bogs dark. I mean, you could just <laughs> flip it around, just, just make it all up. Uh, and, and, you know, um, when, when I was in the classroom, I used to make up nonsense words and then kids, then I'd say, to, uh, you know, I'd have kids make lists of nonsense words, have them pick one, and I'd tell them exactly what the word meant. Like, sasplachwo uh, is a small fork that was used in Southern Africa around the 1500s. It's, it's, it's like a cross between a spoon and a fork, <laughs> and it's used to, to, to dig into wood to, to take out worm meat because, they, you know, I'm just going on and on and on and on. Uh, but the more we let ourselves go and realize somewhere that that's okay, 
the more we're able to do that. So, uh, you know, propensity and capacity uh, come from just doing stuff. I mean, if, if you do things, uh, that's great, but you have to keep doing them. Yeah. So you can be creative and never use it. Uh, so you have a capacity, but you don't have a propensity. It doesn't enter your head to be creative right now. And being creative right now, I think, is the future. Um, and it's a huge part of the future. I think it's going to be more and more important as we get along. We, we, we need to be able to observe better, imagine better, uh, to be more empathic, uh, to be more connected, to step out of old, tired ways of not only thinking, but thinking uh, politically and thinking through anger and so on. Uh, creativity will help in all aspects of our life because it brings with it uh, a kind of innocence and wonder. And innocence and wonder, to me, is the straight road to wisdom. Uh, if, we, if we take that out, and I, you know, maybe the school's not a along with imagination could be doing more wisdom classes, although that sounds like a cult or something like that, so who knows? <laughs> You know, it's funny, we learn and learn and learn, but wisdom's so rare nowadays. <laughs> and, you know, people do mix words. If you look at it, like, um, my kids are always saying, like, mushing words together yeah, and combining yeah. them, and they're like, Mom, don't you know what that means? <laughs> but what I love is what you said was, um, if you just let go, but people don't let go. That's the problem, you know? Like, they just won't get to that point of letting themselves go. Um, what do you think it is? I mean... Yeah, again, that's a good, that's a very good question. Um, I think what happens is they get the concept, oh, letting go is a great thing, and they've heard that before, but how the hell do I do it? Um, yeah, exactly. I, I think what it is is, 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 is try it maybe in little tiny doses, uh, like uh, look at a pencil longer than you normally would and, and notice everything you can notice about it. Maybe make a list, see if you can pull out five things you've never noticed about your toothbrush, and then up to, you know, 150 things, then you're really cooking, you know. And what happens is once you do that, I think a little part of your brain says, oh, we're thinking non-normal thoughts now. Gee, that's kind of cool. And your brain kind of likes doing that. Now, <laughs> some people are rigid and completely uptight, might not like that, and it may actually scare them because they think they're going crazy. The truth is you're not going to go crazy. Um, or you may. I, I don't know who you are. Listen, maybe you will. I hope to God you don't. But for me... I find I have to go crazy or I will go crazy. In other words, if I don't find a place to get my craziness out there, I damn well will be going crazy. And I'll be going crazy in ways I don't like, whereas crazy in ways I love. And the, and the crazy ways I love is where I just start writing. In fact, at some point, I had to read you like a paragraph some, from something that I... In fact, can I read you a paragraph? Yeah, I just, I, I, just, I just wrote I yes. wrote it today, in fact, if I've got of it. Of course. Let me, let's see if I can... Um, yes, yeah. uh, because... It's a pleasure to be read to. I yeah, don't yeah, think. Let me, let me, let me, because this, you know, this is. <laughs> all right, this, this, uh, back to my, I'll just read you about the first thing here, and, and you guys can be the judge. This is some great thing that I thought, but I just, I just wrote it today, and it's called, uh, uh, the name of this little story is, story is called Boris the Moose, or A Brief Testimonial to the Grandness of Being, or No Such Thing as Nothing. See, I mean, the title alone is insane. <laughs> A lordly good feeling swept over the Adirondacks that September. It was in the scuttering of leaves on the pavement, in the girth of the sycamore trees, in the pitch of the roofs, in the drip-drip of a horse's sweet mouth. Wait a second, a horse's sweet mouth? Yes, a horse... A horse's mouth, in my opinion, is a neatly hidden sumptuality, a neatly hidden sumptuality of teeth and gums and tongues, 
at the snug end of its long nose, a miracle of cute plus ugly like most things. And there's a good feeling there, which I would call lordly. Okay, fine. Old Miss Kelly, the alcoholic school librarian, felt the lordly good whatever in her arthritic knees, Chattanooga and BB, she called them, and her hips, she called General Billy. I guess that, I guess after a guy named Billy, he was a general. Billy being a nice name and a general being a thing to respect. Hold on, a general isn't a thing. Look, if it's got a name, it's a thing. Hell, blue was a thing, okay? Whatever. The lordliness was in the lampposts around town and in the miller's place, and in the sad way the building tops sagged and children everywhere slept at night with their thumbs in their mouths, hoping for or sucking on a better kind of forever that would never actually come, but which would follow them in a ghostly way their whole entire lives, all because, I guess, of their thumbs. So that's a wild ride, you know. <laughs> I don't know where that has to go, but I just felt fun playing with it, and then also having some voice pop it up and saying, wait a sec, what, what do you mean by that? And then continuing on, and what do you mean by that? You know, so, you know, as an artist, I used to love to take blank paper and, and just invent whatever came out. Uh, some people are frightened by the prospect of blankness and what am I going to do? Uh, I, for some reason, am not. Uh, I consider a blank piece of paper like a swimming pool. I just plunge into the thing because... Because I've done it enough times, and it's fun, and, and I like to trick myself and stretch myself and push myself and, and not do a good job. I think, I think talent and skill, as one of my great writing teachers, Jack Grapes, would say, talent is the enemy of genius. And by talent, it means, oh, I do that really well, so I'm just going to do that over and over and over, and people will love it. Well, that's great. So you can go to your grave with people having loved something you did, but who cares? Uh, genius is where you're not trying to do well. You just you're you're just there. You're and and you're and, and again I come back to you're authentic and then that leads into an originality when you're purely present and imaginative and, and again not trying to do well. So how do you get people to do that? Uh, do it in little bits. You know, write stuff that you think is not all that good. I, I used to when I was teaching writing to kids, and again I still do, I used to have kids do a notebook called your worst worst possible <laughs> writing. And, the, and it was like, um, you know, one of it was just write whatever. Take take three minutes writing. And even if you just write the same word, just do that. Just fill a page and, and you know, keep the swear words out. Unless, you know, if you want to throw them in, good, I'm not going to read this. And you can, you can crumple it up later. And the next thing was add some variety to it. And then add third person to it. And then just quit worrying about, let the writing do the writing. You don't have to get it right and then get it perfect, and then start writing. Just let your hand move across the page and and surprise yourself. And yeah, a lot of it will just be stuff that is just stuff, but some of it will be incredible. Like that whole thing about kids sucking their thumbs and wanting forever, and the way that the reason they want forever is because they're th sucking their thumb. It's just odd. I, I'm still wondering what I meant by that. <laughs> you know, I really love this talent versus genius because there's the talent myth right the right the the myth that we're all born just good at something yeah. and i as a parent i never tell my kids they're talented my kids are into music and my daughter's yeah, yeah. actually studying music but i never once told them they were talented i just always told them to practice and yeah, work yeah. hard and get better and i other people would tell them they're talented and i'm just thinking they're only talented because i told them to work at it every yeah. day um <laughs> so 
Um, I, just elaborate more on like the talent myth and the genius that once pe how people can get over this myth that talent is just something you have the natural ability for. It's something that, like you said, you're repeating it, but you're not unlocking. You, there's obviously something you're not breaking through to get genius. And I'm curious to know what your definition or how you define genius or how you see genius come out in other people. Yeah, that's, that's uh, again, it's a, it's a great question. Um, I'm going to start this way. Uh, in the morning sometimes, uh, my, wife and I, my wife and I uh, will lie in bed and we'll kick our legs in the air and we'll make up a nonsense poem. It just comes out of the blue. You just you just say whatever's on your mind. I I do I'll, I'll do it right now. The pink elephants lazed across the castle top and found themselves picking coconuts out of the side of their ears. Now you know that I just I just did that. Not not everybody feels that wide and open and whatnot. But even if you start in a in a kind of a strangled way, you'll you'll get better at it. And and part of your brain will say, oh oh, I guess it's okay. We can kind of play. So I do a little bit. My wife will add some. I'll do a little. Life will add something. And it's really kind of a cool way to, to play a trick on the seriousness of the day, you know. So we we got we start the day by being funny. We also start the day uh, by going around and doing a thank you dance sometimes. So we'll say thank you, thank you. Then we'll hug it. We'll say thanks, thanks. Oh, God, thank you. Th and just go ape for 30 seconds going thank you, thank you, thank you. And what happens is somewhere in your brain, that part of reality that hates a vacuum, will actually bring you something for which to be thank you, thanked. You know, I, I, I missed a, uh, a traffic ticket once and I realized, my God, I was so lucky. Then to wait a sec, I did that thank you dance, man. <laughs> oh, wow, cool. So how does that apply to genius? What if you get up in the morning and you say to yourself, my God, I am. And you, don't, you can say this quietly without, don't even say it to anyone else necessarily. I'm a genius. I'm just a genius. You know, I'm, I'm having, I'm eating breakfast like a genius. I'm, <laughs> I'm putting a fork in the sink like a genius. I'm, I'm like a genius. Because the point is, if you don't see you as a genius, you probably aren't one. So starting with I'm a genius and not having to know what that means. Now, maybe it means really smart, but really smart is a very squirrely thing. It's not one thing. It's almost an infinitum of things. There's so many, many ways to be smart. Right. Yeah. Um, and I would say to kids, I, I know the thing about don't tell them they're talented and they got to work. I, and I get that. And maybe they're, maybe that's that's right. I used to say to the kids, look, uh, you're really talented, and it's noblesse oblige. Since you've been given this gift, you really, really have an obligation. And I think it's an obligation. It's like an obligation to lead a happy life, to to use the talent. So in other words, don't just you know f slide by and float by because you can. You got something to go to, to, to give and, and, and do, but but you have talents, and a lot of times our talents are he could or are, 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 are secret or hidden. The the part that is genius is the part of uh, I want to play and I want to notice what's there. I don't want to trust that. See, it's it's not how good you are, but or how smart you are, but it's kind of in what direction you're moving with the with the generosity of your mind and your soul. If you have a generous attitude of how can I be smarter or get better? You know, when I was a teacher, I never thought, you know, clearly some kids were, quote, smarter than others, but whoever I work with, I was going to make them smarter than they are, you know, and my whole thing in the classroom is everyone is rooting for each one. I mean, all of us are rooting for each one and we're not, it's not, you know, I, I would say, look, learn from everyone, but compare yourself to no one. I, I would say that's a huge, if, in fact, if you get nothing from this podcast, that would be <laughs> it. Yeah, learn from everyone, but compare yourself to no one because you are a one of a kind. I mean, you're made out of star stuff. 
you know, there was a big bang. So all of it is in you. It's there. And, uh, and, and so how do you increase the genius? I think first think of yourself as really creative. If, if you just thought of yourself without any proof, incidentally, or without any, you know, reality testing or whatever they would call it, just you're a genius or you're really smart. If you say to yourself, I'm a and I wouldn't say that out loud. I've, I've actually done that with a couple of, uh, you know, back in the day with a couple of girlfriends. I, I, I think I mentioned my IQ or something and everything went downhill from there. I mean, it like went down, downhill immediately from there. So uh, it's good to be interesting, but it's better to be interested. So, you know, make other people feel like geniuses is, is the way to be in the world. But in yourself, hey, dude, dude S, you're a genius. And, and see, the genius is a surprise. You may be a genius folding sheets. You may be a genius having a messy room. You may be a genius uh, standing up to bullies. You may be a genius avoiding bullies. You may be a genius in, I don't know, whatever weird thing you do. And and the point is, if you keep at it with a charitable attitude and stay open, uh, you will get better at it. And it's not, it's not just work. A lot of people say, well, you have to work hard. And they make a distinction between work and play. I mean, I've spent all morning writing this crazy thing about Boris the Moose. And, you know, there wasn't an ounce of work in that thing, but it was all play. And guess what? I'm looking like I'm working because I'm sitting there at the computer going and getting all the earmarkings of work. But it's, it's, it's play and it makes me feel more like exactly and the one and only me I am, which is what you get from creativity. You don't, you don't get that. I could sell tires and do a cruddy job, but if I do a piece of art that I did in the way I do it, I feel indispensable and at the same time young and at the same time like a genius. So I know we can throw that word genius around, but quietly hold it in your heart and realize, you know, I'm a genius. What does the genie genius in me wish to say or do today? And guess what? It don't care about looking good and doing well. It definitely doesn't care about that. It just wants to play. But play ever more intelligently and consciously, you know, read a lot, get training, expose yourself to good stuff and trust. And I love the message of just marching to the beat of your own drum. Yeah, I think that's really and it's like what I tell um, my students in business and in podcasting, too, and, and also in writing is that. No one is ever uniquely you, and right. you have to be unafraid of the judgment and just marching to the beat of your own drum. Drum, and that's where I feel like people aren't going to rip off your work, and you know you'll actually inspire more people by going forging your own path. So I love this, like learn from everyone, compare yourself to no one. Yeah, it's a know? it's a great point. Yeah, I mean I forget it all the time. Believe me, <laughs> it's a very good point. All these things I'm saying I forget all the time, but uh, they're they're very good points to to to, to bear in mind. So you um, you have a course on how humor unlocks genius too. So um, at least I saw it on um, on some of your workshops. You had a lot of interesting workshops too. Um, also yeah, yeah. Some that were about like visualization, things like that. Can I can I give them my website? Yeah. Are they, oh yeah. It's, oh, it's, oh yeah, we'll do that at the at okay, the end. It's johnpearsoncreative.com. That's John Pearson Creative, and John is J O N. <laughs> uh, I wanted to say before I I, I talk about the humor. Uh, and whatnot. Uh, all my life, I think literally all my life, people have called me two things, uh, weird and intense. <laughs> and, uh, and I think intense people are the only people who get stuff done. I mean, appropriately yeah. intense people, not people who are uh, self-inflicting, woundedly intense, but people who know how to use intensity in ways that are appropriate and effective. And I looked up the word weird. The, weird, the word weird 
has an ancient Celtic root that means he or she who's found her destiny. Really? Uh, yeah, isn't that interesting? Weird means yeah. you found... So when I was a teacher, I wanted all the kids to find their weird. Uh, and why that's wonderfully important is that it really... And logically, it makes sense. You are only one of a kind. Um, I've always been drawn to weird stuff. Like yeah. I, that's why I live in Venice. Well, there I you go. The there you go. The weirdness is there. And, and, and then the question yeah. is, why do you like weird? I mean, why would you like weird? And and and, and you could answer that in many different ways. Uh, well, you know, fabulous means unreal. Oh, really? Okay, well, there yeah, you go. Yeah, so there fabulous. you go. Who wants to be fabulous when you can be weird? And since we're <laughs> on the subject, the word the word uh, smile actually came from the word miraculous, oddly enough. Oh, or I may have that backward. <laughs> miraculous came from smile, one or the other. Um, but back to humor. Um you know, I, I've done lots of workshops with schools and lots of workshops with businesses and corporations. I did many, many uh, uh, sessions at uh, an institution called the Creative Problem Solving Institute, Creative Problem Solving Institute back in uh, Buffalo, New York. And I, I went there every year for 25 years. And I used to do workshops on presentation techniques and workshops on drawing as a brain tool. So it's not just drawing things, but drawing ideas, drawing ideas out and drawing is just brilliant for that. And then, uh, of course, in humor, I think it was called humor, the short road to genius. And and I, I know it may sound presumptuous, but I think it, it is true that not only do we have an inner critic and an inner wise person, but we also have an inner imp. And that inner imp is that resident little thing that says, you know, how can I mess this up? Uh, <laughs> a guy, I, I've gone to his workshops. He's really great. Kyle Cease. Um, you can look him up online. Uh, he does things. Uh, he's got a book called uh, I Hope I Screw This Up, uh, which is about facing one's fears and whatnot. And, you know, you read that book and you just hope to God you screw everything up. And it's, you realize, look, if, if I go on stage and hope I do well, it's different than if I go on stage and hope I screw it up. I mean, I don't actually hope I screw it up, but it carves out way more elbow room for something brand new to fly in from 11 o'clock because I'm authentic. And I think in this day and age, maybe young folks are way more connected to this than, than older folks, that authenticity and vulnerability are the actually the new strong, the new strength. Oh, yeah, big time. So it's, it's not polished and perfect and professional. Um, I mean, I, I, polished, perfect, and professional have their, you know, they have their place. But I think underneath it, we, 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 you know, a lot of polished, perfect, profe uh, uh, professional people really screw the hell out of things. And we see it everywhere. But being authentic and being real and being vulnerable and straight up on things, you know, what? you don't see that all that well, much. And when you do, there's not only something good about that, but there's something truly original about that. If we, if we you know, not only come to a thing with... Um, a genius that you know, you're a genius now. What does it want to do and play on the on the blank page? But humility, you know, kind of. A, I'm 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 a prayer chaplain in a. Uh, I used to go to the Unity Church, which is great. It's very progressive and it's very uh, open ended and so on. And became a prayer chaplain. And basically, it's just you know thanking God for what you want now. It's a done deal, dude. I mean, and dude, ass. It's what you want is it. Imagine that. Have that. Be that. Do that. And relax. And, and one of my things that always came to me in prayer was uh, God's deepest desires for you are, I mean, your your deepest desires for you are also God's deepest desires for you. Otherwise, you wouldn't have them. You wouldn't be keyed into that thing. And, you know, whether you believe in God, Santa Claus, or eggplant, I, I don't care. But the <laughs> desire that you have that, that's really true to you 
follow that puppy. You know, follow your nose, follow your heart, uh, and then you can you too can be chaos that knows exactly what it's uh, where it's going next. It isn't necessarily easy. Um, I don't always do it, but I got to tell you, every time I truly have done that, things have turned out great. I mean, it's the difference between ideas that you have and ideas that have you. And I can give you one quick example, if I can, yeah, of an idea of that had me. I was back at the Creative Problem Solving Institute years ago, and uh, there was a talent show. And I used to do something in the talent show uh, every year without fail. And then after about 15 years, I thought, I, I don't want to. You know, it's it's I'm showing off. It's, you know, I don't want to. You know, it came at the end of the at the end of the conference and, and somebody said, Oh, you got it, John. We love you. And I said, well, that's cool. I'm glad you love me. And that's, but no, I don't want to. And then this was in Buffalo, New York. So I took a walk along the canals here in Buffalo, New York. And it was kind of dusk. It was like five 30 at night. I, then I came back up to the dormitory. We lived in these very spare uh, dormitories, very Spartan looking. There was a dresser and a table and like nothing else. And there was this mirror, uh, this, this small mirror, which was cracked, was on the wall. I looked over, I was wearing a t-shirt and the guy in the mirror said to me, all my life, I've wanted to be an insect, but I can't. And I thought, Jesus, God, look. And then I, I went with it. My God, I wanted to be, yeah, you know, that, you know, I thought insect, yeah, those bugs, you know, we look at them, they're intricate, they're technological, and then we kill them, you know, like, ooh, it's icky, it's a bug. <laughs> I thought people look at their own creativity like it's icky and it's, it's a bug, you know, it hangs out under the refrigerator and we want to kill it. And, and so often we actually want to like kill it off because we don't want to come across as weird or intense or, and we haven't learned how to do it appropriately or work it into the, the world. So I sat down for three days and wrote and wrote and wrote every, I did a brain dump on every single thing I knew or thought or felt or ever heard about bugs. You know, my experience, what they look like, they're weird. I drew picture after picture. I did a whole thing on bugs. I drew hundreds of weird outer space bugs. And then I made up a creature, uh, a bug. And I went out on stage in front of 300 people I had two pa- I'd boiled it down into a two-page thing. I'd memorized, memorized one page. The second page, I didn't even have memorized. And please welcome John Pier. I had to step out with like, you know, not having it done. And I just trusted. And I, I had a little hat on with a little sock made into a bowl and a, a, a terry cloth towel and, 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 and socks pulled over my hands. And I went out and I said to the, the people, I said, all my life I've wanted to be an insect, but I can't. <laughs> I'm too big. And, you know, these are hands. They're not bug paws. And this, this isn't up. These aren't wings. It's a towel. And then it went on and on. I went to the overhead. I was using an overhead projector at the time. I drew this, the interior of a bug, and went into the phenomenology of a bug and the psychology of a bug. And, and then at some point I lay on the ground and I said, you know, when I get lonely, I just lie down. And I kind of spread myself out like in a crucifix. And I said, uh, and every every female insect in a 50 mile radius drops what she's doing and comes toward me, which was a really cool thought at that time. Cause I was single and it was really, really cool. And then I got up at the end and at the end, I remember closing by saying, if you have one scrap, one iota, one fraction, one morsel of creativity, don't be afraid of it. Don't hide it under the refrigerator, but blow on it, fan it, give it, give it, give it energy. And then I went behind the curtain and actually started running up and down the walls, literally, because I was so happy and scared and relieved that I pulled this damn thing off because I thought, my God, this is a leap of faith. 
But I think that's it. God wants us to take leaps of faith. And I didn't know where that was going, but it was called an idea that had me. The nonsense lab that I invented with kids many, many years ago, that was an idea that had me going to Boston to work with Harvard and MIT and elementary schools because I thought imagination and intellect should go together. That idea had me. And and getting a a degree, a master's in the creative arts interdisciplinary at San Francisco State, that had, getting a philosophy degree, that had me. Going into the Peace Corps had me. And then it didn't, and I I didn't go into the Peace Corps. I went all over Europe with a knapsack for six months. I just followed my nose. And looking back on it now, all those times when I went with the idea that had me, yeah, it was scary, but mostly it was, yeah. And the fear was a different fear. The fear wasn't, oh, if I don't do this, I'll be, ta- I'll, I'll be an idiot. The fear was, God, I don't know if I can do it. It feels so scary good. That's a fear you want to pay attention to. I mean, you got to pay your bills and do stuff. But at some point, there are things that are scary good. And, and, and it's important to know the distinction between the ideas you know, that you have and the ideas, ideas that literally have you. The nostril book had me. I slammed the van door and I thought, God, I got to write this. I've got to I got a, and what is it? A guy living in a stucco replica of Edward G. What the hell's that? Looking at an, uh, a nose hole. And I wrote and wrote and wrote about everything, observations, thoughts, and it didn't have to go anywhere or mean anything. It was a canoe ride through my mind that, and then I'd finish doing that for three hours. And then I'd go and I'd do my teaching stuff, which was all objectives driven and what am I doing? And because I was able to let myself go crazy at the end of the day in my own head, I realize I can put up with, you know, objectives and the, what the world wants. We all do that as my day job. But, you know, my pre or me, me is play. And I think it's true for all of us. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, um, when you say the idea had had you, I mean, it just goes back in, to just the calling of being a writer for me. It's, it's That's what it started thinking. I was like, I, I started thinking about my books and I was like, yeah, you know, it haunted me. Like it, it, I always put a negative spin, but you're just like, I mean, that's, I, I put a negative spin as far as haunting me, but it's yeah, just yeah, like yeah. It's in my mind, I saw it in my mind like a movie and I just kept thinking, oh my God, I, 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 these characters feel real. And the more I work on it, the more they feel real. And it has, it has my emotions, you know, like when you're writing, you channel so much of your emotions into your characters and things like that. So yeah, it's, I, I just think it's making the jump probably to write those first words on the page to let that idea take over. And it seems like it's hard to do that, but it's hard not doing that. You know, the voice that, 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 the, 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 the interest, um, the idea that, as I say, the idea that has you, if you ignore it, it will mean pain. I mean, it will mean pain. You'll, you'll earn money, you'll do well, you'll do stuff, but you, you'll, but there's something in you that, you know, see, I think that little voice in you, when, when you look in the mirror and you ask yourself, you know, am I doing what I came here on earth to do? I mean, I asked myself that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a little voice in you, and it's you know it's in the subconscious, I guess, and it doesn't say I'm good or bad. It just says, I guess you mean business, or I guess you don't mean business. You know, are you if 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 you're if I'm a writer and I'm not writing, if I'm an artist and I'm not an, being an artist, if I'm a speaker and I'm not speaking, I guess I don't mean business. It doesn't mean I'm bad. It just means I don't mean business. It's it's not you know I just you know it's like it's just, it's it's neutral. It's like okay, but when I do it, I feel like weightless. I feel like I'm like a ball of flipping energy. I'm still wondering about Boris the Moose, incidentally. And what, how the hey, what did that, because that flew into me. And then the whole thing about the good, the lordly, what? The lordly, 
the horse inside <laughs> a horse's mouth is a sumptuality. What the hey is that? And yet, stopping him, you say, hey, you know, in this normal world, why don't we dig deeper and find out something that's odd, strange, interesting, and write it, and then and then feel good about you. Then I go out in the world, and I don't need as much attention. I don't need as much recognition. I don't need as much good news. I don't need much of anything because I just fed that part of me that is, is jumping up and down and wants to play. And, and, I, and I, I think of it as a little kid wanting to go to the park. And if I don't take her or him to the park, it's okay. I'll just, he'll just be moody and wreck the rest of my life. You grumpy. Know? Yeah, yeah, grumpy and pissed off. And, you know, <laughs> I'll take it out on my wife or I'll, you know, take it out on something. But, um, my motto, I mean, my mantra is I can hardly wait to get up. And, and a good day for me is I can just hardly wait to get up. And, and see, when I'm doing my mojo, doing my creativity, my wife's happier. And when, when she's doing hers, she's happier. And she's a really cool lady. And, and we came together uh, because, you know, we want to, I want to bring out the silly in her. I want her to be <laughs> creative and do her thing. And, and I got to do my own thing. Uh, sometimes it pulls us in opposite directions because I need my space. I need my time or whatnot. But basically, if she's not being creative and doing that, uh, she will not be happy and we won't and vice versa. If I'm not doing my John Pearson thing, she's not going to be happy. <laughs> so we find out ways to make that, make, make it work. And, and it, it can be just a little bit, you know, it doesn't mean you have to stop the day job entirely and devote everything to some romantic notion of moving to Costa Rica and writing the novel. I mean, maybe you want to. I but, want to. <laughs> but then, but maybe, and it's, maybe it's the best thing you'd ever done. But But there might be a way of quote, uh, going to Costa Rica and writing the novel uh, for five minutes or doing it for a little bit or, you know, just setting time aside for that. I, I incidentally, I meditate an hour a day. You know, I, I didn't think I could do that. But then I went to, as I say, one of those Kyle Cease uh, events. He said, you know, meditate an hour a day. So I, I did that about starting about a year and a third ago. And I thought, I can't do this. My God, an hour. Think how long that is. And then I realized the thought think how long an hour is, is paper thin. That's just a thought that comes and goes. So I did it for an hour the first day, then the second. I'm up, I'm up to day 487 in a row. I, I, I'm bragging. But I feel good. And the reason I'm saying that is I've always felt self-reliant, but now I feel self-reliable. And so now I set aside time each day or during the week always to be creative. And now I feel reliable there. And instead of, you know, because sometimes I don't want to meditate. I don't. And I said, no, it's not a choice. I'm going to just, it's, it's not do I, it's do it. It's, it's not a maybe. It's do it. Yeah, it's non-negotiable. Yeah, and I, I went yeah. on a diet three weeks ago, a bone broth thing with my wife. I did it before <laughs> and before, you know, I didn't want to, you know, no sugar, no starch, no, no anything good, you know. And, and, uh, <laughs> and you know, and, and, I, and I thought, well, but I, but I made a commitment to my wife for three weeks. And it was neat because I'd be sitting at, at the coffee place and there'd be all these really cool pastries. And I think, Oh God, if I could. And then I, and a little voice says, no, dude, you're not doing it. And, and I wouldn't. And I went for three weeks and I'm in another diet doing the same thing. When I have a no, it's easy. Then my voice can throw a tantrum, but it only lasts a little bit. If I don't have a definite commitment, then the voice will keep appearing and appearing and appearing and I'll get up and I'll eat the pastry. You know, if I don't have a no, I'm not doing it for three weeks. I mean, eat pastries if you want, but the thing is, if you have a, if you have something that says, I'm, I'm going to do this and you do it, then something deep in your subconscious thinks, I guess she, he means business. 
And it has nothing to do with you're a good person, a bad person. It has nothing to do with whether you're actually doing it well or not. You're just doing it. You're putting your butt in the chair and you're doing it and and that's it. And what will happen, guaranteed, is you will, if you stay open and if you, you learn and, and practice techniques and, and, and get with other people and share your stuff, you will get better. You, you just will. So it's not how good you are. It's are you doing what you love? And if you're doing what you love, you have an element of genius, I, I promise you, and just do more of it. A lot of entrepreneurs and people that I talk to are people who want to quit their jobs and be entrepreneurs. It's it's like that's not the end. There's there's no end. It's just a continuous journey of doing what you love, you know. And I think for writing, it just never gets easier. <laughs> and, 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 and also, Chris, what, what popped in my head when you said that it was. It's not about dropping the non-creative stuff and doing creative stuff in your life. It's also about doing everything in your life more creatively. Yes. Um, oh my God, I mean, yes. let's say you can't drop the job, but you know, you can actually go to work like a writer. You can actually do copies of whatever you have to do, whatever grunty thing you got to do, like a writer. You know, on the course of doing boring, this is boring, this is stupid. Notice that voice, boring and stupid, invent a character. I mean, get into boredom and stupid. That, that person you hate at work who's, who oh. never, <laughs> never, uh, who never recognizes you. You feel invisible around and they're arrogant. They got that weird, oh, that, that so supercilious voice thing. That's a, that's a freaking character. And on the page at home, murder their ass. Don't put, their na- <laughs> don't put a name to it, you know, yeah. but uh, get it out. I and mean, thank you for being such a vumpin' vumpin' because guess what? I am creating such a character. <laughs> When I get home, oh, God, you have no, it's going to be blood-curdling, your character, you know. Or when I'm doing the dishes, you know, I do the dishes like a prayer chaplain. I I turn it into a meditation. I just do it. I feel my body. I think no thoughts. I don't have any words in my head. I pretend God is doing the dishes. I I literally pretend I don't have a head, and which is easy to do because you can't see your head. So you try that right now. You don't have a head. Think that, Mm -hmm. think of that. But, like, instead of a head, you got God, which is like everything. So everything's doing the dishes. Now, that may sound... (laughs) goofy but goofy works especially if you're intense and and weird like i am but you can be secretly goofy constantly even in the midst of people that you know are are i don't know arrogant driven supercilious mean whatever oh, yeah. people can be or cut you off in traffic somebody cut you off in traffic they're not the character and you know become an anthropologist become a writer become a comedian you'll know, use it because yeah. because nothing's way wasted you're you're lousiest stuff is never, never wasted. And the truth of it is there's a kind of jujitsu with that because you don't get, you don't get unhappy about stuff or you get unhappy, but then you come out of it and you use what was happy and you write this really, really amazing (laughs) thing about being lonely that you share with the world. And somebody now in, in Nevada city, who's feeling like they want to suicide, kill themselves, reads your thing and feels like, Oh my God, honest to crap. I know what it's like to have an alcoholic mother. Jesus, God, I'm not flipping alone. I'm not going to shoot myself now. I'm going to keep on going because I am not alone. And what people can do as creative people when they do flights of imagination and depths of emotion is they can say, look, dude, do this. We are in this together, all of us. Even if we have opposing political views or hate each other's guts, we are in this together because, you know, we're not alone. And being not alone is just the essence of things. I, I thought of starting a, a, a radio show called What Am I Missing? I, I happen to be a left of center Democrat and I can't understand 
I, I don't understand Republicans these days. Yeah, I don't, me I don't understand Trump, and I don't get it all. But I, <laughs> but the show would be, what am I missing? Because apparently I'm missing something. So, and the rule would be, before you state your case, you have to completely, clearly, and charitably state the other person's case, and really come down eye to eye. So we we we, we may not see eye to eye, but we can speak heart to heart. If there were a forum that people could come together and not just be cleverly bashing the crud out of each other, I think creativity is involved in that. And if, if you could you could hate someone, but if you wrote a character from the place of where they are, you might have real compassion. And the only way to get there is imagination, which is a form of empathy, which is every bit as important as intellect in this day and age. In fact, I would say way more. If we had imagination, empathy, and humor, we could maybe go a little easy, go a little uh, easier on rationality, perhaps. I'm not saying <laughs> let's not be reasonable. Well, I love that show. I mean, I hope you get it. Uh, I hope you get it going because it would be. Well, you know, I'm actually if somebody out there has got the chops or knows what they're doing, because I'm a technophobe. I mean, if they want to help me, I'm, I'm. I would be quite open to that because I think I think. I think we need that. I think, you know, I mean, I can be rabidly one way and, you know, I've been knocking on doors and campaigning uh, for, for the Democrats, obviously. But, but I, but you know, I, I want to be able to hear people. I think what we need to do is, is just be heard and gotten because my great idea means nothing if it doesn't include, I hear you. I mean, yeah. does it? Otherwise, we're just shiny, powerful things that blast people away and create more anger. Yeah, and I think I think that's that's that that little known thing when we're all trying to get A's and do well and get a blue ribbon and win the whatever award we're going for. <laughs> that that's cool, winning awards. I've, I've met many people who've won awards. I've you know, I've been nominated some for some cool awards. Maybe I've won some awards someplace. But the awards, I mean, that's not where my heart is. It's not where my you know. I mean, it's nice. It's like cake frosting. It tastes good. Now it's gone. <laughs> but what what's really there is is and I think this is what creativity is all about to realize that. On some level, you're just this piece of God. I, I use God a lot. I don't mean God in a narrow way. I mean this huge source of infinite. And and you're that thing in a finite body thing, whatever, but you're that. That's what creativity is. And along with that is innocence. Along with it is authenticity, originality, but also helping other people to realize that they're not alone and that, that we're all in this together. And maybe something brand new can be said about an old dead Topic. I remember when I was in the juvenile. I worked in the. I was in the juvenile hall system. Yeah, I worked in the juvenile hall system. Just to make that straight, Uh, I did that for about two years, and I was a substitute. And I used to bring my drawing stuff in because I figured, look, I'm going to draw stuff. Because when I draw, I become an unknown quantity, and people wonder, gee, what drawing? Because they're not expecting someone to draw ideas and draw things. But I did. So I'm there, and I'm having lunch with this one of the teachers, an older teacher. This was many, many, many years ago, and. Big, big, strong woman, like a polar bear, could have killed him with a swipe of her arm. And and we were eating on metal trays, looking straight ahead. And she says, I don't entertain, I teach. And so I thought, well, hell, that's like the opposite of everything I stand for. But rather than say that, or rather than say, oh, research from this place and that place backs me up and blah, blah, blah. Something in me, I guess it sort of fell out of the sky. It said... Isn't it the truth? I just, I just agreed. I said, isn't it the truth? And continued eating my spaghetti. And she kind of relaxed. And, and then little bit by little, I, I said, you know, I used to work with people who never drew and never, but now I've tried some stuff and it really works. I had a teacher once who refused to do stuff, but now she's trying it. And it's at the end of lunch, the teacher said, 
John, I wonder if I could borrow your easel. I'd like, and I, I, I said, sure, I'll bring it over. And then I, as I turned away, I started, I started to cry as I, I just thought, my God, way to go, dude. <laughs> I wasn't trying to, to beat someone to a pulp with research and write. And I was just saying, look, I, 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 you're a rule of thumb, just agree. You know, you feel lazy, I'm lazy. I feel lazy. See, the point is no one's lazy. If you give in to the ladies, let yourself be lazy, at a point, I think you just get tired of it. And then you do stuff. Because I think the natural thing is to do stuff. I've yet to meet a person, maybe they are people, who just don't want to do everything and lift a finger, except it seems to me that those people never seem particularly happy or turned on or, or whatever. So when we can agree, yeah, what is, is, and okay, got that, stop fighting that, hear that, agree with that, let it in, don't, you know, don't push it away, then people can say, okay, now, what do you think? And then you have a real connection and, and you can be creative. I mean, I'd love it if the, if the food fight, the war between right and left and blue and red in, this, in, the, in the United States could turn into something creative. What, what I mean by this is America is this was the place where people came here many, many years ago and they set up a constitution and a bill of rights that basically said, at least, we're all equal. We all deserve freedom and happiness. Let's get about the business of bringing it about. We haven't, naturally, but we started with a very, very high place, and this is the source of innovation. America's looked at as this place of innovation. Well, hey, guess what? Innovation isn't just about new product design. It's also about, we're about the people who can do something non-historical right now. Through creativity, we could bring opposites together. We could actually say, what do you really feel and want, person who hates my guts and has a different <laughs> political view? Because I probably want the same damn thing. I just got a different way of wanting that thing or pulling it about. And that will take some real creativity. So creativity isn't just doing well and being smart and imaginative and, and good with the arts. It's about how you do anything and what you're willing to let in. I mean, I, I get creative in my own head, but guess what? I can spend too much time on my head and it might do me well to get the heck out there and just start talking to strangers more and making friends and hearing opposing views and widening out and, you know, putting down my sword and shield and righteous. Well, I can still have that. I mean, there's certain things that are just absolutely righteous about and I can be righteous about those. But other people, we all, I think we all yearn to be just seen and heard and gotten. And then once we got that, then other stuff can work itself out creatively. <laughs> anyway. Oh, thank you for sharing. So, um, thank you for your time today. And thank <laughs> you. No, no, no. Thank you for everything. And I'm really inspired by this and I hope all writers out there are too. So thank you for joining us today. Creative minds. If you want to know more about uh, workshops by John, uh, you can check out his website. Once again, that's John, J-O-N, PearsonCreative.com. Until then, keep... And, and it's, it's P-E-A-R-S-O-N. Yes. So J-O-N, P-E-A-R-S-O-N, Creative.com. Fa thank you, Christina. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, thank you. And I hope all of you guys go out there and play, listen to that inner imp, and never, ever compare yourself. Any, any last words? Uh, be intrepid, be kind, and stay creative. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Thank you, Creative Minds. I will see you on the next episode. Bye.